Well, good morning. <laughs> Barely made it out here. It's great to be with you. Welcome to the start of the Christmas season here at Grace. Uh, it's always a special time of year. Uh, I hope that you had a chance to, to get together with family and friends and that you had a nice Thanksgiving and that, that during the, I know for me, it's always a good reminder to, uh, to take the time necessary to reflect and, and appreciate all that God has provided and continues to provide and will provide and just take a moment to be truly thankful and grateful. So I, I hope you had a chance to do that. Now, if you've, if you've been with us for some time or any time really in the last uh, several months, you know that we've been working our way through the gospel of John together. And uh, I just want to give you a heads up. We're going to take a little bit of a break only because we're going to get through Christmas together. We've got some, some things that we want to make sure we cover during this Christmas season. And then we have some special things planned for January as well. And then we will get back to the gospel of John. So don't think we're abandoning it forever. We've made it through a chapter or up to the, at least the first part of chapter 16. And we will then go back and continue on so that we can lead up to and through Easter together in the way that that uh, gospel works uh, and, and tells the story of Jesus. And so we, we will return to that. But during these next four, well, let's call it five weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at different dimensions of the promise that we have in Jesus. And so we're calling it unwrapping the promise, the promise of Christ, of Jesus has so many different ways that we can look at it, but we want to focus in today. We're going to be looking at hope. Uh, then next week, it'll be joy. Then we have uh, peace and love. And then finally life. What, what does it mean that we have this promise in Jesus in all of these different dimensions? And there are more, but we're going to cover those over the next five weeks as we unwrap this promise. And so, like I mentioned this week, we're going to be specifically looking at hope. Uh, but before we dive into that, would you just just pray with me and let's just ask the Lord to do mighty things in this place today amongst us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to gather together here in your name and in your presence. Lord, we know that you've gone before us. We just ask now that you bring a word from you, not from me, but your word be proclaimed and preached in this place because we know your word does what it says. And so, Lord, we ask you to do that right now, whatever your will is, however you see fit to work on our hearts now in these moments. Lord, we invite you to do that. Would you change us, transform us, make us new, put the old to death and raise the new to life as only you can. Lord, we're so desperate for hope. And in all the ways that we turn to other things, Lord, would you just center us on you today, the source of life, the source of our hope. May it be all about you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So my wife, Tammy, and I have a, well, let's call it a difference of opinion when it comes to movies. Okay. Now, some of you, this is going to be a real polarizing thing. I can tell already. Some of you are going to think that I'm right on this, and others of you are going to think that, that Tammy is right, but here it is. It's not about the, the kind of movie or the style or the genre. We can usually work that out, although we do have our preferences. But what I'm talking about is I don't mind watching the same movie over and over and over again. 
Tammy says, no, <laughs> this is no good. And uh, of course, now one of us has biblical grounding for why they have their preferences. <laughs> Just kidding, sort of. <laughs> but I like to know how the movie ends. So if I know how the movie ends, then I can watch the, the rest of it stress-free. It's an enjoyable experience then. Tammy, on the other hand, likes to kind of be on the edge of the seat. How's it going to turn out? Oh, we don't know. I don't, I'm not so much into that. And I know I'm not the only one because I brought this up earlier this week with our staff. And, and one of our staff members said, hey, my mom, whenever she gets a new book, she reads the last five pages of the book before she reads the rest of the book because she wants to know how it turns out in the end before she reads the rest of it. And, and I'm like, oh, this makes sense to me. Of course it does. And so what about this whole idea of, you know, we, we know that this, this kind of, let's call it a philosophy or this practice of thinking about how something ends definitely impacts the way that we think about what's happening now. I mean, isn't that what we hear that professional athletes do? They visualize winning, they, you know, all these kinds of things. Stephen Covey wrote this whole thing, Seven Habits of, the high, of Highly Effective People. I think it's habit number two is begin with the end in mind. Right? Begin with the end. So the whole idea is that, well, if you know how it turns out in the end, then it will change what you're doing right here and now. And so my question is, well, what about when it comes to matters of faith? What, it, what about when it comes to our, our walk as a, as a Christian, as a follower or a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean for us? That's what we're going to be talking about today as we unwrap this, this promise of hope that we have in Jesus. But it's not just a generic hope. And we're going to talk about all the reasons why that is, but it's not just some sort of generic hope. It's specific. It, it, actually, scripture uh, tells us that Jesus is living hope, living hope. And we're going we're gonna to understand and unwrap what that means. But this, this whole thing about Jesus being our living hope is something that is so contrary to the way that the world works and the way that the world understands things that it, it's irreconcilable, it's incompatible. It doesn't, doesn't ever make any sense. But because I just got done talking about habit number two, begin with the end in mind, I want to tell you where we're headed before we even get started. Here it is. Living hope trusts that the past guarantees the future, which transforms our present. So we've got three different dimensions here, past, present, future. They're all here. Living hope trusts that the past guarantees the future, which transforms our present. So now if you brought your Bible or if you want to read along on your phone, it's going to be a little bit different uh, for, for you watching online. It's going to be the same as normal for you here in person. Uh, it's only going to be on the side screens. And so I just want to give you a heads up on that, but you can follow along there as well. But turn to first Peter. Uh, this, uh, it's a little letter uh, toward almost all the way at the end of the New Testament. Uh, you might miss it because it's only a few pages long, but we're going to be looking at first Peter chapter one. And specifically today, we're going to look at verses three to nine and see what Peter helps us to understand about this living hope we have in Jesus. I'm going to read it all the way through and then we'll go back and take a look at some of these important points. Okay, starting in verse three. 
Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, do you see how this element of time is woven throughout this entire passage? It's, it's challenging our typical vision, our understanding, our outlook. Uh, it's expanding. It forces us to expand our vision of what this whole idea of living hope even is, because it brings together past, present, and future. And so if we just look at the beginning, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the past and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That's the future. And it's this you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is how we have hope in the present. It's, it's all three things have come together in Jesus Christ, our, our living hope. And so it's it's critical for us to see this because a lot of times we get this whole idea of hope way wrong. We think of hope as more like, I would call it wishful thinking or, or uh, optimism. You know, I, I, I hope this or that works out or, uh, you know, I, I hope I get this job or, or gosh, I, I hope I meet the right person. Those are all things that are rooted in just a positive outlook or optimism or wishful thinking. But that's not what Peter is talking about here when it comes to living hope, because optimism and wishful thinking, well, they, of course, they have a place. But, but the Greek word for hope that Peter uses is far more expansive. It requires our vision to explode and be much bigger than it typically is, because you'll notice that when I say, well, I hope this or that will happen, or I'm looking forward and I, I hope this works out, or I hope I get this job, or I hope uh, this situation gets resolved or whatever it is. That is all based on an unknown future. We're hoping that it turns out the right way, but we don't know that. And so that's what we think of most often when we think of hope. But this, this Greek word that Peter uses is not wishful thinking. It's not optimism. It's an expectation of what is sure. Not what might be possible if everything works out, but what is trustworthy, what is sure, and what is certain. And in, in this case, this idea of living hope that Peter talks about, 
is not something that is ambiguously tied in some way to an unknown future event that we can't really understand or see or anything like that. It's not tethered to something unknown. It is tied to what God has already done in the past. That's what makes it so unique. All these things come together. It's tied to what has happened in the past. And we just saw that in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead that is the fuel for the vision that we have of the future. Or at least it should be. It should be. But is it? When it comes to, to our understanding of hope, are we tethering whatever we think of hope when that comes to our mind? Are we tethering our idea and understanding of hope to something that will spoil and fade? Or are we tethering that hope to the only living hope that we have in Jesus? Well, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's not wishful thinking. That defines what will happen in the future because God is faithful and God is trustworthy and God has already started delivering on the many promises that he's made. The major one being that Jesus came for us, died for us, and was raised for us so that we could be invited into new life with him. The new birth that Peter talks about into living hope with Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Where does our hope come from? What kind of hope do we have without the resurrection of Jesus? The the Apostle Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians this way. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. And if it's only in this life that we have hope in Christ, then we of all people are most to be pitied. Because there are two ditches there. One is, well, there is no resurrection. Then there's no hope. It's as simple as that. But the other piece of that is, well, maybe we just hope in Christ in this life, in our present circumstances, and we make it all about me and the here and the now. And Peter is also telling us, no, it's it's more expansive than that. Paul said the same thing here. We'll be pitied. If that's all we think hope is, then we are most to be pitied. So true hope is much bigger than just our circumstances and just our lives at this moment in time right here and right now. Because Jesus was crucified and paid the cost for our sin, and he indeed was raised again from the dead, and then he appeared to over 500 witnesses before again ascending to heaven, then you and I can have this true hope, this living hope, when we tether our understanding of what hope truly is to what Jesus has done. That, that kind of hope then is not wishful thinking, but it's, it's a guarantee of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. He will continue to be faithful. He will deliver what he promises because God's word does what it says. He is faithful and true. He is our source of living hope. And think about this. We, we know this even if you're not a Christian. Even if you're very suspicious about all this Jesus stuff. At some level deep down inside, we don't tend to like to admit this, but 
the world even has to look and say, well, there's something there. Because if the early church, the early believers made all of this up, would they really have taken it all the way to their own death, one after another, after another, after another? It's fun to make up a story if it doesn't actually cost you anything. Why would you make up a story that then guarantees your death, your untimely death? You will be hunted down, persecuted, and your life will be ended. So the fact that you and I are here today talking about this at all should testify to the truth of the living hope that the early church had. Is that the same kind of hope that we have? Do we have that kind of living hope now today in our world, in our circumstances? Because when we trust and we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he accomplished what he said he would accomplish, then we have true hope for the future that is guaranteed by God's work in the past. Take a look at verse four. We see exactly this uh, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. And so here we have this promise for an eternal future with God that this right here and right now is not the end. Matter of fact, when we come to Christ, when we have this new birth in him, that's just the beginning. But it's also not something that only happens after we die. It happens now when we have faith and we have living hope in Christ alone. Then it changes the now. Okay, we're going we're gonna to get there. But unlike this fallen world that has been completely and totally corrupted by sin, our promised inheritance here that Peter talks about, our promised inheritance is that God has exactly done what he said he would do. Now, we talked about this in John chapter 14 a few weeks ago. Uh, This promise is told by many different writers all throughout uh, the New Testament in many different ways. But a few weeks ago, we talked about in John chapter 14, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going away to prepare a place for you in the father's house. And so, again, we see this future-oriented element that the circumstances that we're facing now, whatever they might be, are not permanent. We have a future that is guaranteed. And someday we will live in that place where God has set all things right. He has put all things right. There will be no more pain. There will be no more struggle. There will be no more challenge. There will be no more sin. We will just be living in the presence of a holy God that because of what Jesus has done, He has enabled that relationship to even exist. But here, if we look at uh, Revelation, uh, we can see a little bit more full picture of what that will be like. This is uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, just a couple verses here. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There we see this time again, the beginning and the end. Before the foundation of the world, there was Jesus. At the end, 
There is Jesus. And so when everything else passes away to give birth to God's new kingdom, we have it being all held together in the faithful arms of our Lord Jesus, our living hope. That should give us great confidence for what is to come. I don't know if you, you heard this. There was some familiar language in there when he says, uh, when he says uh, no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning, no more death, for the old order of things has passed away. Remember, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What does it mean when the world hates Jesus? It's the systems of the world. The way that we think we're going to solve all the problems and we try to do it without Jesus, they always fail. They always always end in complete and total disaster and despair. And yet, we try to do it over and over and over again because it's so tempting for us to think that we can solve these problems on our own. We can't. We've got to go to the source, the living hope. So this idea that we have this guaranteed future where this is all headed, what God has promised, what God will deliver, not a suggestion, not, gee, I hope it works out, but what God is bringing to fulfill his promises to us. That should change the way that we, but we're not there yet, right? I mean, take a look at the world around us. Do we see lots of living hope? Do we feel that living hope radiating through our lives and the lives of those around us. So the question is, well, how are we supposed to live in the meantime? We've got this guaranteed future, but we also are living in a real mess in the present. How do we live? Well, I would put forth this. Certainty about the future should calibrate our view of the present. Certainty about the future should calibrate our view of the present. In other words, when we, when we keep our primary focus, the object of our worship and our praise that is so easily distorted by other things and other people and all this, when we, when we focus on Jesus, we just, by the way, you guys did a great job singing in here. I got to say this, I was really, I was really impressed by that. Uh, keep it up. It was amazing. But when we were singing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. When we focus and we turn our eyes upon Jesus, then we focus on what is eternal so that we are not consumed and devoured by what is happening in our present. Now, this is good news, especially given the circumstances that many of us find ourselves living in. Now, it's not, of course, all the same. All of us are dealing with different struggles, different challenges, different trials. But Christians, and even so-called Christians, find themselves in one mess after another, right? And it's not too hard to see. Once Christians get going and turned against one another, it's really not too hard to see why much of the world looks at the church and says, ah, uh, thanks, but no thanks. You guys seem to have a lot of problems. I'm not really interested in that. But if we are who we are called to be, and if we find our hope and our life in Jesus, then that living hope radiates out and invites people into relationship with Jesus. Doesn't stiff arm them and push them out. It actually brings people into relationship 
And so how does anything change? How does anything change? Well, I hope you felt that it, as part of, of who we are as a congregation, as part of the body of Christ, I feel things changing. I feel perspectives opening up. I feel the vision that we have for what God has called us to be, to actually be expanding, not contracting. And what I mean by that is as we learn and grow and trust in Jesus more and more, then we become who this living hope is calling us to be. But, but here it is. That doesn't mean that we're not going to face difficulty. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face struggles and challenges and all that. Matter of fact, Jesus has told us that because we're associated with him, we should expect trouble. We should expect trials. We should expect all of that. And so unlike some versions, which I would say are not even the gospel at all that will tell you come to Jesus and all your problems are going to be solved. That is not what we know to be true. We will face trouble in this life, but that does not have the final say. That is not what defines us. We are defined by something much greater than that. How do we live in the present? Well, look at verse five. It's, it's you. And if, if you're a believer and you trust Jesus and you follow Jesus, then this you here that Peter uses is you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. It's faith. Faith is the way that God continues to bring all things together. It's this faith that God gives by his grace and by his mercy. That's what shields us from falling into total despair in our present circumstances. Without faith, we will always end in despair. We will always end in despair. But with living hope, God shields us by his power, not by our power. You'll notice it's not like, well, we talked ourselves into it. No, it is by surrendering to the living hope and letting God provide the power that you and I do not have to get us through whatever it is, even when it doesn't end up the way that we wishfully think that it would. Faith is what enables us to carry on without fear or in the face of fear. Because we know in the end that fear has no hold on us. Death itself has no hold on us. Trusting that our future is secure because Jesus has already secured it changes the way we live and approach life now in the present. I think one of the best examples of this is actually, it's a speech from Martin Luther King. It's just, I'm going to read the last 30 seconds of this. This is a famous mountaintop. Now, I would call it a sermon. Some people would tell, tell you that it's a speech, but I think it's a sermon. And, and I just want to focus in on the last 30 seconds of this. I'm going to read it uh, because I think it really encapsulates a lot of what we're talking about right here. Now, some of you, this is going to sound familiar. Others of you, tune into this and listen especially to what he's saying about the past, present, future. It's kind of all represented here. He says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. 
But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He was assassinated the next day. The next day. But did you hear how he had hope for the future? Not rooted in himself, but in the coming of the Lord who makes all things right. He was not consumed by fear. Matter of fact, he faced whatever fear may have existed with the power that God had given through faith, through his being our living hope. Well, that, that can be true for you and me as well, right here and right now. Right here and right now, because when we believe and we trust that God's action in the past has guaranteed our future, then we have this inheritance with him. We stand to inherit all of this that God has promised to us. And so faith becomes then critical to us understanding how God has brought all of this together. I would say it this way. Faith is the bridge between our past and our future. Faith right now in our present, faith is the bridge between our past and future. It's our faith, which is, is not something that we manufacture. It's not something that we make up. It's not something that we just conclude. It's something that is given to us through God's supernatural gift so that we have not our power, but his power to bridge the gap between what has happened in the past and what he has promised to deliver in the future. If all we had to depend on was what the world can offer, then despair is the only destination. It's the only destination. And so I don't, I don't know where you're at today because all of that, when we think about what the future brings, all of that may not provide a lot of comfort for whatever we're dealing with in our current circumstances. We, we see this over and over again. The, the, the world is a mess. It gets messier. And our faith is put to the test over and over again. Now, this, this letter that Peter was writing was going out to a whole bunch of different churches. There were scattered Christians all in a, in a big area that were probably thinking, gosh, being persecuted for my faith, things are going well, facing all kinds of trials. And maybe it's just easier if I turn my back on this whole Jesus thing and just try something different. And maybe that's you today. Maybe the circumstances you're facing or the struggles that you're facing in your life have pushed you to the edge where you're wondering, is this whole Christianity thing even worth it? Is it worth the trouble that we seem guaranteed to face. Well, again, Peter helps us by expanding our vision of even that. He helps us to see trials and suffering and even persecution as something that maybe God doesn't want it for us, but at the same time, God doesn't waste it when it comes to us. Look at uh, verses six and seven here. 
In all this, you greatly rejoice, though for now, though for now, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. Now, listen to this. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which persists even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And there's a couple of things that I think are revealed in just those two verses. The first is that Peter reminds us that our struggles in this life are temporary. Now that doesn't mean they don't exist, but in light of the perspective of all of eternity, they are temporary. It may not feel like that, may not seem like that, but again, when we keep our focus on what is eternal, then we will not be devoured and consumed by what is happening in, this pre in the present. Because those present circumstances, no matter how overwhelming they may appear, do not have the final say. But Peter goes even further than that. It's not just this idea of, hey, it's not going to last forever. There's better days coming. He actually tells us that the trials and the challenges and the struggles that we face are actually being used by God as a means to strengthen our faith and to prove the genuineness of our faith, which is very counterintuitive. I will give you that. And yet at the very same time, I have seen this over and over and over and over again. People that have been in impossible circumstances. I've walked alongside people with unbearable challenges and struggles. And those are the people more often than not that say to me, I have never felt closer to God than I do right now. I have never been more sure of the promise that God has made to me than I am right now. So instead of despair, I've over and over again been surprised by living hope. I've seen and heard and felt that living hope radiating through people there is no other explanation for the inexpressible joy that they have than God is with them. God has not abandoned them. And God is fighting their battles. This idea of trial and struggle producing genuine faith is not easy. But yet... This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, the faithfulness of God has delivered on the promise that he made. He told the disciples, I'm going away, but I will ask the Father and the Father will send to you an advocate, another advocate, the Holy Spirit. And so unlike the world that was waiting for the Messiah to arrive the first time, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. You and I are now living in this rupture of time where 
Jesus has already come and he has not come again to bring forth the fullness of God's kingdom. So we're living in between. But unlike when the people were waiting for Jesus to come, the Messiah to be born the first time, you and I have, when we believe and we trust in Jesus, you and I have something that they didn't. We are given the Holy Spirit of God as an advocate to come alongside us, but also someone who lives inside us, who continues to testify to us about the living hope that we have in Jesus. And so you and I have an advantage in that sense, because the faith that God has given us is continually not just sustained, but it's increased as it's refined through whatever challenges and struggles that you and I faith, it, uh, face. It proves these trials and these struggles prove the object, the true object of our faith. And so I would, I would tell you that false faith falls away, but refined faith reveals Jesus. Doesn't reveal, doesn't reveal us. It doesn't celebrate us. Doesn't give us the glory. It gives glory to the one who is our living hope, Jesus. Faith refined in the fires of struggles and challenges is then what becomes this unbreakable bond that God makes between our past and this desired future he has for us. And so faith itself, faith in Jesus, an active, living, ongoing relationship with our living hope is the key to unlocking God's desired future. We cannot do this without Jesus, period. Where are you at today? Do you have this faith? Do you have this living hope? You have this kind of faith that Peter describes here in uh, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, I want you to hear that because it's not something that we're waiting for only in the future. By the the Holy Spirit that God has promised and then delivered, our faith is given now. Our salvation is already now. It's already in real time happening in the present. It's not something we wait for. The fullness of it is what we're waiting for. But the existence of that salvation that each of us have has been given and guaranteed by God through what Jesus Christ has done, through the resurrection of Jesus and by the promise and then deliverance of the Holy Spirit, you and I have been made alive. You and I have been invited into this new birth and this new life alongside this living hope. Is that you today? And if it is, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But if you're not so sure, and you're wondering, well, how can I be sure? If that's something that you want today, you want to know for sure that you are included in God's future. I want you to listen to these words of the Apostle Paul in uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You are included the moment you recognize Jesus is knocking at the door and you come to believe and trust in him. There's no waiting. There's no waiting for this undefined future. There's a sure future, a certain future with God that starts right now in the present. He, he brings the past and the future together, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He brings it together right through the circumstances of our present. There is no other living hope. It's Christ alone. And so when you know and trust and believe that, that God created you, that in Jesus Christ, God redeemed you and set you free, and that through his Holy Spirit, God continues to sustain you and provides you a guarantee of this future inheritance that you and I will have through our living hope, then that is our living hope. It becomes our living hope. Living hope trusts that the past guarantees the future, which transforms our present. Let's pray.